I don't think we've had this much room in this room in two years. Guys should feel comfortable. All of you with anxiety disorder, this is your night. Come on in. So um, we're going to do things just a little different tonight. We're going to be looking at step 12. We, we uh, did not do that last week because Denise and I were in Illinois and we figured everyone was going to do the holiday. So we're picking up from where we were two weeks ago. Um, in the interim, those of you who have been following uh, New Freedoms stuff and those of you that are following us online, we had a little uh, thing where we had to get cleared up with the access OIG, which is done. We have a letter from them saying that we're no longer under suspension and, and um, we've got a whole process to go through. And now the thing we've got to do is we've got to get the gates back opened up with ADCRR, which is a logistics thing um, because of the way they parole and all those things. And so we're still having some struggles. And what the Spirit told me to do today is that, number one, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with principalities and heavenly realms. And uh, I have a chaplain in the house. And he has agreed. We've never done this ever in all the years we've been doing BON. But we want prayer, and we want you all to join us in prayer, because he's going to tell the demons to go and whatever he's going to tell them. Thank you, Joe. Um, first of all, we just want to just come corporately together right now. So if you all would just, let's all stand for a moment because we're going to recognize the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And it works according to the power that is in us. So Father, right now we thank you again, Lord, for everything you've done. We thank you for clearing the airways. We know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, principalities, rulers, darkness, and wickedness in high places because we know who you are. We deal with the spirit and we know who you are. So we thank you right now for what you're about to do in this place. Lord, there's lives all over this city who are dying, being released from prison, having nowhere to go. But we recognize that you see all because you're up high and you see low. We ask you right now, Lord, to move the obstacles out the way. Make ways out of no ways. You told us in your word to look toward the hills for which cometh our help because our help comes from you. We open up our eyes to see you, Lord, not the things that are before us. We walk by faith and not by sight because we know that it's done. Your promise is a yes and amen. We thank you for what you're about to do for all the lives that's getting ready to come through this place and the others to come. We know, Lord, what you have in mind for your people. You said you knew us before you ever placed us in our mother's womb. So we thank you, Lord, as some of us strayed away and went into the things of the world, but we no longer deal with the world. We deal with you because we thank you for the transition of the minds that you're doing in this place. Now, God, we ask you to release a spirit in this atmosphere and in this city. Touch the hearts of those who have the opportunity to help hundreds and hundreds thousands of people to be able to be set free in their mind, spirit, and body. We thank you for what you're about to do. We give you praise in advance, and we give you all the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray all these things. We touch and agree in community in this place, saying amen, amen. and amen. Amen. Thank you, Chaplain Lee. And guys, there's a lot of suffering because we were mentoring people for years. Many of you know that. They were counting on us. And then this came up and we were, we were not able, because they weren't able to come here, we weren't able to help them. We've tried to help them, but we need to give them more help because as you know, this place doesn't do it for you, but it makes you a little bit more certain that you're gonna have a good outcome. So continue to pray with us because we're going to get this done. We're ready to rock and roll. Tonight we're going to look what it means to be a servant of the living God. We're in step 12. So you want to be in your book on page 89. And it's a little chapter called Working with Others. Everybody with us? Wants to be? Yep. So they start out with some promises and conditions. Let's see what 
what those promises are, what those conditions are, see if you can catch them. The whole book is a bunch of promises and conditions. And over the years, people have hung certain sentences on the wall and said, these are the promises, and they're not. They're the ninth step promises. And the whole book's full. That matters because the whole book's full of promises and conditions that help us measure our spiritual status by the way we're thinking and emoting. Does that make sense? Because the world doesn't cause how you think and feel. It reflects how you're thinking and feeling. So if you're suffering in creation, check in with creator. Make sense? Okay. So it says, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Did you guys catch a promise or two? Other activities will fail. Debbie Downer talking. Any of you see any promises? That is a promise. How many of you have done everything except take other people and introduce them to the... How many of you had struggles? So other activities, pretty much everything we ever hear suggested other than what these guys talk about will fail. So it did say there was an insurance of immunity. What was the insurance of immunity predicated on? Intensive work with one another. So it's not about a fellowship activity. It's about a one-on-one and fellowship in the spirit. If you're not doing enough of that, then things could get rocky because you haven't paid your insurance policy. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So then it says this is our 12th suggestion, and it follows what they just said. So in the English language, when they write it after what they just said, the 12th suggestion isn't what they just said. It's what follows. This is our 12th suggestion. So they're going to give us the 12th suggestion, but it's not the selfish reason why I want to work with others, which is it's, in, it's insurance of immunity. It works when other activities fail. That's the selfish reason. Out of self-preservation, I would do that. But the problem is self. So at some point in our servitude, we go from, I do this for insurance, to... I don't do it at all. Does that make sense? How many, where, where's my people blessed with a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps? Working with others. How many of you have had the moment where you realize, this ain't me? Okay. All right. So th- this is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. See, they're being very emphatic. You've got to carry this message. How does one carry a message? You have to live it. The spiritual life's not a theory. We have to live it. That's what they cautioned us last time, right? Because the sermon we preach isn't with our mouths. It's with our feet. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it tells you a little bit about the responsibility. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they're very ill. How many of you have determined... Where's my members here? Do I got members and graduates here? Thank you for being here. How many of you were relieved to find there was a lot of people here that had been through what you were going through and were succeeding and were going to help you succeed and you knew it was possible because there they were. So now you understand what it looks like. We're, our whole model here is based on that right there. You can succeed where no one else can because you've been where no one but our people have been. Including in a recovered state because of does that make sense? Yep. Okay. All right. You guys think we invented it at New Freedom? Hell no. This is our manner of living. Right here out of this book. Why do you think we do this every week? Because this is where it comes from. All right. This was never about sobering up drunks. It just has that effect. This is about moral rearmament. The manner of living is about transformed lives relieving us of our human condition. Why do you want to do it all? Because my human condition is complex when I don't. Okay. So it says, perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. Do you think that's true in Phoenix, Arizona today? You know why Sean says that? How many of you have met people who seemingly don't want to recover? How many of you have been someone who didn't really want to recover? Just fading some heat. Yeah, yeah, on the way to the meeting, on the way to the meeting. 
So that's none of our business. What we want to do now is start figuring out how to discern those who do want to recover and are truly powerless and baffled by that same experience that we've eventually awakened to, yes? Okay. So it says you can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. Why do they want us to go to the helping profession to ask? Well, because they can't help them either, but you are uniquely qualified to. The, the, the pastor is baffled by that ask chap. Right? He'll pray for you. He'll pray with you. But if he wants someone to level the playing field, he needs a drunk like me. Just so they can hear him. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I don't want to hear theories about alcoholism when I'm a guy who drank my vomit so I could get out of the DTs. Yes? Okay, they will be only too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or reformer. Unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists, and you'll be handicapped if you arouse it. So we're really not looking for the ones that we can evangelize or reform. We're looking for the ones that are looking for a solution where they obviously can't find one. And as people who have found a solution within us that restored us to this state, we can fairly assuredly tell them you're just looking in the wrong place. Ain't nothing wrong with you. Pick up your mat and walk. Okay. All right. So ministers and doctors are competent, and you can learn much from them if you wish, but it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. It's not your drinking experience other than leveling the playing field, but it's your recovery experience. Where and how do I find this power? Deep down inside, how do I find it? Sometimes they have to search fearlessly. Oh, that's why they wrote that shit in that book. I'm trying to find power because I demonstrably lack power. Yes, sir. All right. So cooperate and never criticize. To be helpful is our only aim. And I'm going to jump right now from there because that's not what I want to get into. I want to get over to um, the middle of the page, 91 and talk about how we're most likely going to start in this manner of living. It says, see your man alone if possible. So those of you that are working with people, how many of you have discovered it's not always easy to see your man or woman alone? Sean kidnaps him. How do the rest of you do it? Do you know why there's a meeting before the meeting and a meeting after the meeting? So you can see your man or woman alone if possible. Right? I had an old timer tell me a long time ago. He, said, he goes, you got to go to the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, because during the meeting, we're going to tell you who you, we want you to think we are. <laughs> but before the meeting and after the meeting, we're going to tell you who we really are. And then, then it's okay to be authentic and get real. Huh? Some of you are feeling that. Who's feeling that? Okay. That's happening in you, right? That's the power we call God. That ain't happening up here. That's happening in you. Okay. All right, so after a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You'll thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. How many of you, when you first started doing this, didn't read that little part? Because someone had told you how to proceed, and you just started telling them what they were going to do. How many of you got disappointed by them not being as good at following directions as you thought they ought? <laughs> I think he's wasting my time. How many of you have said that? If he's wasting your time, you already lost the battle. He's teaching you something. Whose spiritual experience am I seeking when I go to see them? Mine. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, all I've got to do is show up. He can't waste my time. I'm going to learn if I pay attention. I'm going to at least learn that I'm wasting my time. <laughs> it ain't him, it's me. Okay. So if he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Why not? Guys, get Lance pipes in. He's like Sean. So you guys don't think they have the answer. Do any of you know why we don't want to say anything at this moment? He's right, by the way. How many of you have had somebody ask you, 
how you recovered. So somebody tell me, qualified, how the hell did you do it? That's right. All I can tell you, I can tell you the experience of being recovered. But what I did, I burned everything down. Every day, no matter what. I didn't stop unless I was locked up, chained up, whatever. I had to be restrained in some way or I did it again. And then one day, pow, it never happened again. What happened? What did I do? Not a fucking thing. I got, I got picked up and catapulted into a fourth dimension of existence that I had not dreamed possible. That, that's the reality. Okay? All right. So we don't want to say that right up front because you know how that weirded you out? Do you have me yelling? That old guy's yelling. Do, it will weird them out. We want them to ask before we tell them what's up. Because there's already prejudice there. Once they know I was at least as hopeless as them, okay, well, what's up with you now? Then I can tell them that although I don't know how it was accomplished, I do know who accomplished it, and he sent me here to tell you about him. Okay? All right. So, so it says, if he's in serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. And if his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades and get him to tell some of his. So whatever the mood is, how many of you got here and there wasn't nothing funny? I was in the nothing funny category. And I didn't, I'd go to a meeting and everyone would be cutting up and I think they were laughing at me. My mental illness was so severe that they were making jokes about me. Everything they said was about me. People were calling themselves liars and pieces of garbage and whatever. They were, they were describing me. That, that's all well and good, but it, it didn't feel good, right? So what we want to not do is misread the moment. That's why we want them away from the crowd, because we tend to get into group speak. We get them away from the, from the crowd. We can read them, right? Come on. How many of you had an incarceration history? You survived because you learned how to read people, right? That is a skill that you have. We all have it, okay? Okay, so when he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were and how you finally learned that you were sick. So you didn't need to know that. How, how baffled were you and how did you finally learn that you were sick? How many in addiction even still to this day are not sure you believe that you were sick? A lot of people think they made bad choices. You ever heard that nonsense? This book says if I'm this guy... They discovered they had lost the power of choice with regard to drink. You know what it means to lose something? And it didn't say they misplaced it. Given a hundred choices, I'll pick drugs and alcohol every fucking time. It was removed from me. Okay. All right. Give an account of the struggles you made to stop. How many of you made struggles? So if you'd done your steps, you would be armed with the facts about yourself and you'd be able to talk about those struggles, wouldn't you? How many of you discovered when you finally were ready that you at some point thought something about, I can't do this to them anymore? Your thought changed from what you were doing. It's none of their business. I'm not hurting anyone but me. But you realized the harm and the devastation you were doing. You said, I can't do this to them anymore. And maybe without knowing it, said a prayer. When that happened, you experienced your consciousness. A window opened into your consciousness and new power flowed in. Did you all of a sudden start being open to doing things, trying things that you hadn't been open to before? Then I'm not lying to you, am I? That's, that's why you want to do the steps, because you'll learn that that's when you had your encounter. And then you awaken to it through the process, including taking others through the process. Okay. So I'm going to jump down a little bit. Um, says, if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So how would I be satisfied that they're a real alcoholic? And what the hell's a real alcoholic? I thought they're just alcoholics. They're faux alcoholics. Yeah, we, we uh, kind of go through a checklist. But to Sean's point, there's only one symptom we have in common. We've got all kinds of similarities, but the one symptom we absolutely have in common is that abnormal reaction once I put it in my body. 
So, so then they describe a real alcoholic not so much in the doctor's opinion, but in that chapter there's a solution, yes? And have you ever read that on 22 and 23? Okay. Real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, seldom mildly intoxicated, always more or less insanely drunk. Some of that, okay. So we're weighing it against that, yes? Who better than some of us that have been that person to help them discover that about themselves? Okay, so it says to begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. What is the hopeless feature? Yeah, the hopeless feature of the malady is it doesn't matter how much knowledge I have, my experience is I return. Where's my friends that have had that return? Tony, come on, Bubba. We ain't mad at you. Sniff that oil and get walking. I'm talking about the resurrection oil, not that other shit. <laughs> um, Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. How many of you got a story about how, not after the first drink, what happens to me after the first drink is what happens to an alcoholic of my degree the minute I take a drink. I go live under a bush. It may take a minute, but I'll get there. So it ain't about what happened after, it's about what happened before. What is the mental twist that precedes the Drink, because the insanity is the first one, not everything that happens after. That's why you want to do the steps, too, to get armed with the facts. What is the lie you keep telling yourself to keep you in that trench? How many of you didn't even have the it'll be okay? How many of you just said, this sucks, I'm not going to live life this way? I've got a justification. Any of you have a justification? I, I'm not having any fun in this abstinent thing. Okay. All right. So don't at this stage refer to this book unless he's seen it and wishes to discuss it and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. What difference does it make? Jim, you diagnosed people. How many people have you diagnosed that they were alcoholic? You don't even want to answer me. How many of you that work with people have diagnosed did your opinion of their condition change their thought? No. How many people told you you might be an alcoholic or an addict? Oh, geez, tell me something I don't know. Yeah? So we need to understand the gravity of it, right? It doesn't matter what someone labels me. If I don't understand the gravity of it, I'm unlikely to do anything about it. Okay? Um, then it says, it says, if he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can, if he's not too alcoholic. People misread that. Sean's laughing because if we really pay attention to what they're saying, we're not here to convince them. That's alcohol's job. That's cocaine's job. That's amphetamine's job. But if they go, you know, I'm not sure. You know, it hasn't happened every time then it's not our job. You know, you probably could just stop. You don't look that bad yet, even though I met you here under a bush in the slope. I mean, you do still have a cell phone. We could still pawn that. Because no one wants to be told they're not addict enough. Think in your own experience to be told that you just aren't. Any of you ever try and quit around the holidays? I always tell anyone that quits from December 1 forward, you, you ain't no alcoholic. <laughs> ain't no fucking way to quit before Christmas if you're an alcoholic. <laughs> That's way too good of an excuse. <laughs> Seasonal blues. <laughs> okay, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. What are the conditions of body and mind? Yeah, and you don't want to get into Alcoholics Anonymous, but you just want to talk to them about your experience. I wasn't going to pick up no matter what. And then somewhere along the way, I thought perhaps I overreacted. Maybe a little cocaine holiday around Christmas would be all right. Any of you ever had a cocaine holiday about Thanksgiving? <laughs> Missed New Year's? So that... 
that mental obsession that draws me back to that which I know isn't going to go well. Many of you got far enough along that you were using, but you knew it was not going to go well. Because I always like, they, I used to hear for years, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. You won't find that in here. I did the same thing with no expectation of a different result. <laughs> this is going to suck. Watch. Bring a camera. This is going to be epic. Watch me burn the whole life down. Anyone know what I'm talking about? But I was already in it. It's not even a choice. It's completely insane knowing me and what, what was going to happen. It wasn't a doubt. Any of you have any doubt on your last run that it was going to... I'm going to put... Shh, no one will know. Any of you ever do that? <laughs> or did you go straight to figuring out what you were going to tell them about it? How, how many of you have had... You've stayed clean, but you've had those high dreams? Did you wake up figuring out how you're going to tell them about it? See, that never changes in our nature. How am I going to cover this up? <laughs> Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience and explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. We meet them every day, don't we? Okay, we see tragedies every day. That's why we're in the life that we're in, is because we know the serious consequences of it, yeah? Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it'll serve some good purpose, but you may talk to them about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. So that's an awesome responsibility. Do you all know the solution we offer? Because the solution is not the steps or a meeting list, which is what we've gotten to telling people, but it's not. The common solution we all share is the power within each and every one of us. And although it flows through me, it is not of me. Does that make sense? And so we need to take seriously when we're being used to deliver the solution. Remember, we're, we're instruments in that. Which is why I might want to stay spiritually fit. Right? Same reason you want to sharpen a knife before you go to carbon. Okay? Um, you'll soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of the alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he's alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question, if he will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. I need to be armed with the facts about myself to be able to tell him exactly what happened to me. It doesn't say tell him what I did. Remember I said a prayer take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to your love, your power, your way of life. So they're going to have noticed that my difficulties have gone away, and my difficulties aren't the fines and the incarceration and the divorces and the lost businesses. The difficulties are my guilt, shame, remorse, selfishness, self-centeredness, dishonesty, resentment, fear. They'll, they'll come to me because they'll feel that I'm free, but I know of their bound condition. Does that make sense? So I don't want to talk to them about that until they ask because they're not ready to receive. Okay. So tell them exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. You understand we don't have anything but a spiritual solution. Not in recovery, the program. In the fellowship, we offer all kinds of silly things, and it may work or not. But our success rate in the fellowship is significantly less than 10%. And when these guys wrote this book, for 15 years, they achieved a 65% efficacy. In spite of all the advances in medical science, we have lost that many people because of people making shit up. And there's no magic to this book other than it was their shared Testimonies that we don't alter it, we don't add to it, we don't take from it because it's revelation. Okay, so it says if the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic he does not need to ag agree with your conception of God. Power. And you know why that we do that here? Some of you that haven't been here before, they, when I say God, they say power because people that have got prejudice, we need them to understand we're not talking about a deity, we're not talking about a concept, we're not talking about a theology. We're talking about sensory, tangible power within to enact a better outcome in your life from within you. Does it make sense? And so we got to talk to them, whether they're atheist or agnostic, doesn't matter. Half the original fellowship were. 
It isn't important that I believe in God. It's important that God believe in me and I know the experience of that confirmation. Does that make sense? And then I'll, if I just can be honest with myself, they already told me, I just got to be honest with myself about what's happened to me and pretty soon God will reveal himself to me. It's the way it works. Okay? So he can choose any conception he likes provided it makes sense to him. So all the silly things we've said over the years, group of drunks, doorknobs, light bulbs, sock name Oscar, it's all horse shit. Unless you swallowed that shit, that ain't right. It's down inside of you. It has a sensory, tangible experience of power, peace, happiness, a sense of direction flowing in. And if you're having it and you're sitting with someone known by that power, they're going to feel it too and they'll call it your attention. And then you'll actually know there is a solution and he sent someone for you and you will know that you are the one he left the 99 to find. Some of you are feeling that. Who's feeling that? That's happening in you. Okay? All right. So the main thing is that he'd be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he lived by spiritual principles. So you're going to have to get your feet moving. You may not grow into the conscious relation all the time until you start taking some action. That's why there's no chapter on into thinking in this book. People with addictive disorder have tried to think their way into better acting, and guess what we did? What happened to us? We stayed loaded. We didn't just get there, we stayed there. Right? So what these guys learned is I'm going to have to act my way into better thinking. And so I'm going to live by spiritual principles. Even if I don't fully understand, I can see it's working in others. And if they'll walk with me, which they have agreed to do, and I'll walk with them long enough to start having the experience and doing what they have indicated is what we need to do, then it will reveal himself to me. Make sense? How many of you have had that experience? Okay. All right, so when dealing with such a person, you'd better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. There's no use in arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues, no matter what your own convictions are. So that doesn't mean don't tell them the truth. That means don't go all theology on them. But I'll guarantee you the other half that weren't atheists or agnostics, they were, they were religious people dying of their addiction too. How would you have met the religious people dying in theirs? We've got to talk to them too. But we're not talking about religion anyway. We're talking about relationship. So... I just call that to your attention because over the years I heard that we're spiritual, we're not religious. I don't know what the fuck that means. I'm spiritual, not human, but I'm having a human experience. So what I'm trying to tell you is we have a religious idea, God dwells in you, and a practical program of action that will prove that fact to you through you if you will do what they said to do, which is find another alcoholic. Okay. So it says, your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. How many of you have met some people that one step, one step their way to freedom and then couldn't live by the principles they espoused? Okay, so that happens too. We've got to be able to talk to them with compassion as well, yes? Matter of fact, that's why Chap and I tag team. Because it was always AA's job to knock the barnacles off of them and then send them to Chap to put a polish on. <laughs> True? Come here Saturday and watch him do it. Okay, I'm going to jump over page 94. It says, outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal. How would I be able to explain that if I had not? When am I going to learn to make a self-appraisal? I'm going to take the fourth step. And why would I do the fourth step? Well, and because I desperately need power, right? I've admitted powerlessness, not a theory, but an experience. I'm unable to do any of the things I want to do, and I keep doing the things I don't want to do. Anyone lived in that? So I know that's a fact about me. I'm powerless. I need access to power. And where do we find power? Deep down within, and how do we find it? Sometimes we have to search fearlessly. So the only reason I'm doing the four step is not to please you or to tell you some dirty secret about me, but I need power now. So as bad as I don't want to go within and look for what's in me, I've got to do that because if I don't get power, I'm going to die and I don't die fast enough. 
Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. So, so it says how you straightened out your past. How do we straighten out our past? In my fourth step, I looked at how I'd harmed people, what I'd done to them. I got a whole list of them, and now I've got an amends. And I've asked for power by seven to go out and take, you know, get me, use me, good and bad. And I'm going to go out and start walking in it. Gets more barnacle knocking. Exactly right. Okay, and then why you're now endeavoring to be helpful to him. See, a lot of people think nine is amends, and then I'm doing, done doing amends, and I'm just going to tell you how to live the rest of my life. No, uh-uh. Nine's just to get me fit enough to be a good servant, and 12 is the big amends. Twelve, I just got, I'm not fit enough to be a healer until I've got rid of my ego and realize that God's doing it all through me. Okay? All right, so it's important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital role in your own recovery. How many of you have figured that out in your walk? And I don't care how many people you've worked with. If you're you're brand new and just considering someone else to help you, you've already started on your 12-step journey because you've humbled yourself enough to ask. Even if you don't believe in God, you, you believe in his messenger. And that's enough to get you started because he'll point you in the right direction. Okay, all right, so actually he may be helping you more than you're helping him. How many of you learned that? You know what the new ones teach us? What our old ideas are. Remember, many of us tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. And then we think, well, I don't have any old ideas. I let go absolutely. And then we end up in the same old pickle over and over and over again. Same old judgments. Any of you have done that? Okay, well, because those people that were there to help are about to expose to me my old ideas. So I need to pay attention when I'm there. I'm there to meet their needs, not mine. Does it make sense? Okay. It says, actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. Make it plain he's under no obligation to you that you hope only that he will try and help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Why do I hope that for him? Because if you don't, you'll suffer. If you don't put what you thought was a wasted past into purpose by trying to help other people regain the freedom you're now enjoying, you will suffer. Because the four-step inventory, the fifth-step inventory, all the amends, none of that unpacked it. It didn't get rearranged. My mind didn't get transformed until I saw that worst moment of my life lift another man up. Let me tell you something that I see around here every single day. The worst moments of my life being put to purpose for all the thousands of you that we get to meet. If you know what I'm saying, you'll be doing what you see me doing. Okay? All right. So, I'm going to go down to the bottom of that page. And it says, your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all of the program. Any of you ever had a candidate that had reasons why they need not follow all the program? How how many of you have been a candidate who didn't think of it? I mean, you've been at this a while and didn't even realize what all the program was. You know, there is no all the program, right? Bill Wilson wrote 12 Steps as a marketing gimmick, guys. When they, the people who wrote this book didn't have 12 Steps. They described an unfolding experience by living a certain way. We're the ones that turned it into a fucking workbook exercise. Don't, don't be listening to drunks, man. They just get you drunk. I mean, these drunks are restored. Let's see what's up. But remember, when they tell you about a 12-step experience, it was about an experience that 12 steps weren't created yet. They had five principles of the Oxford group, plus they finally admitted they were beat. And they measured everything against absolutes, right? Absolute honesty, absolute selflessness, absolute what? purity, absolute love. That's what they did. And they did a lot of study in the Bible, even the atheists and the agnostics, because it at least helped them understand the experience they were having. Okay? All right. So, so it says he, he may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt you would have made much progress had you not taken action. So how many of you had the experience of not wanting to do it, then doing it and experiencing great freedom? God, I did once think and feel as you did. Okay. So on his first visit, tell him about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. See how they were careful to tell you the program's in here. 
And then there's this fellowship where we go. We've forgotten all that, conflated it. You know, are you, oh, you in the program? Yeah, I'm in the program. Row five, Thursday night. <laughs> no, you ain't in the program. You're just in the freaking auditorium. If you're not in this book, you're not in the program. Okay? All right, so if he shows interest, lend him a copy of this book. Unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, let him steer the conversation in any direction he likes. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once, and you may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he's likely to say you rushed him. How many of you have felt rushed? And how many of you have told other people what they needed to do without hearing what they were willing to do? How many of you have learned that we don't tell them to do anything? In time, we realize that telling active alcoholics or addicts what they're going to do is like pushing a rope uphill. May may keep you busy, but it's... Yeah, you could end up in there with them. Um, so it said, never talk down to an alcoholic from a moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the spiritual tools for his inspection. So the spiritual tools are simply analyzing my thoughts and my emotions apart from myself, which is why there's a fifth step. So I can learn to do that and talk to another so they can help me sort them out because I am not my thoughts or my emotions. I'm just a spirit experiencing them in human form. And as I have those experiences of thought and emotion, I project it outwardly, and then when I start suffering, I think that circumstance caused it, but no, the circumstance was painted by my perspective based on my emotional and mental states. Does it make sense? And that's what this whole banner of living will teach us. All right, so I'm going to jump some more because I don't want to run out of time and we have a lot of fun in the next one. On page 96, it says, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. How many of you have hit the level of discouragement? Man, mine never get past the second step. Dude, I got news for you. If they didn't do two that you had nothing to do with, they never got the first one. What's the first step in recovery? We learned we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were powerless. Right? So if they still got another way, guess who's not fully conceded? And if I think I can convince them, guess who else isn't fully conceded? Yeah, you need some Al-Anon. There you go. That'll get you a medal. Okay. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. What do we offer? We offer, we offer hope. We offer, we offer the potential for a redemption if you're willing to accept it. I'm, you know, God sent me to you to tell you of the redemption he did for me. It's entirely up to you whether you want it, because I serve a very polite God. But if you do, I'll do anything I have to to help you get there. Okay, so it says, we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with us. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. How many of you are one of those? I don't need any of that shit. I ain't telling that shit to nobody. I'll do this on my own. I won't pick up no matter what. <laughs> Found yourself behind a dumpster. Rarely have we seen a person fail. <laughs> Probably behind the same dumpster I was. Some of y'all. Been a minute. Oleanders. Yeah, Oleanders don't got stickers. <laughs> okay. To spend too much time on any one situation to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. We don't have that. That's, what, that's one of the selfish things we do is we, we think that we're getting results. We don't get results. God gets results. We're just instruments. And not everyone's destiny is to live an abstinent life. How many of you sat down, taken someone through the process, felt the spirit, knew who they were, whose they were, and they just went out and got high and died anyway? It tells you... Tells you a little something. How do we know it's the, God's will for them to have that experience? Above our pay grade. All right. So he often says that if he'd continued, oh, one of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says if he'd continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. Who are they talking about? 
Bill Wilson. So he started doing this stuff in the 30s, and here we are in the 2020s, and all the millions of people that have gotten well since then were, at least in part, because of his willingness to suspend his egoic tie to those people he was trying to get, work with and go to the ones God was trying to direct him to. And biblically, Chap will help you understand if you go to his service that even, even Christ, God manifest, said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. So this is not new stuff. That's very old stuff. Okay. So suppose you're now making your second visit to the man. He's read this volume and says he's prepared to go through with the 12 steps of the program of recovery. Notice how they differentiated that again. 12 steps of the program of the recovery. There are no steps to the fellowship of the recovery. We shouldn't call it a program. They say the only requirement is to desire to stop drinking. And I've been coming for many years now. Not continuously, but many years. And I've never met an arbiter of desire at the door. Not one. So we don't screen each other. Okay. So having the experience yourself, you can give him a pra much practical advice. Let him know you're available if he wishes to make a decision and tell his story, but do not insist upon it if he prefers to consult someone else. What's the decision they're talking about? I'm going to make this third step decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand. And, uh, and the, the first act having made that decision is to get armed with the facts about me so I can be a proper witness as I go out into the world. Right? Okay. So I'm going to go over to page 97. And it says, never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you're doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. So how important is that new person we're approaching? They're extraordinarily important because they are the stones and the foundation of this recovery I'm trying to walk in. Yes? A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. How many of you found new in recovery you had to stay busy? So you may have to do more just to grow into it. Yeah? How many of you have found that you're maybe a couple of years in and it's not as fun as you thought it would be and you're not as free as you thought you would be and you think there's something wrong with your recovery because you're looking at somebody else's recovery that looks like they're having a better time than you. Very dangerous to look outside of yourself. Just know the experience you're having is for a purpose and find out what the purpose is. Right? So you have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. That's the point. That's what they learned they had to do. So did anyone know that story of the Good Samaritan? All the people that should help walked right on by because they did not want to be involved. But the one that should not have helped, the Samaritan, stopped, saw his brother in distress. He was the good neighbor, bandaged his wounds, took him to the inn, paid his tab, said, I'll be back in a few days, I'll settle up, take care of him. Yeah? Okay, so it may mean the loss of many nights' sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. How many of you have had that happen? Got the call in the middle of the night. Hey, this is Sam. I'm under a bush. But I'm ready. I really am ready. Sean, will you come get me? Any of you know Sean's plight? How many of you have gotten up, gone out and got him on your way there? Fucking Sam. How many of you are really glad he called on the way home? Yeah, because I've been under a bush. Okay. All right. So it may mean sharing your money or your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. How many of you were in jails, asylums, police courts? How many of you noticed those people that came in that you never knew, couldn't know their names today, but they came in and tried to deliver you a message of hope? Any of you get? Do you know what they were doing? They were paying this debt. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she's neglected. Because you neglected her. <laughs> a drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. How many of you learned we don't take active addicts into our house if we don't expect damage and missing property? So they at least taught us that, didn't they? 
Come on, guys. If they put me in their house, I stole their shit, too. That's like the job assignment. Picked me up at the bus stop and gave me a bump. Now they wake up and the money's gone. What did they think was going to happen? No? Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and minister sedatives under his direction. How many of you have had to take someone down to Community Bridges or one of the detox? You ever pour any liquor down their neck to get them so they're going to trip the... Sometimes you'll have to administer sedatives. Wait, where's, where's my meth addicts? They won't let you in, just meth high, huh? You're going to have to drink some whiskey to get in there. Ain't no shit. We know our shit, man. We've got to administer sedatives. Another time you'll have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you'll have to meet such conditions. What I was told is those were the 12-step promises. And what I've learned is they really are my job description. Someone did it for me. It was a debt I couldn't pay. And now I have to continue to pay that which I cannot pay because I'm experiencing the benefits of that price being paid for me. Does it make sense? And it's an old debt. (laughs) Anyway. Um, So I want to jump from there. Hmm. I think I want to go to, to page 98 now. Last time, I know it's been two weeks and our memories are short, but we talked about growing in understanding and effectiveness, and I always ask the group, we're growing in understanding of what and effectiveness at what, and people are left to speculate. Now they're going to tell us precisely what it is I'm growing in. It, now that I'm out actively serving as the hands and feet of God, what am I going to grow in understanding and effectiveness of? So it says... Um, It's not the matter of giving that's in question, but when and how to give. So to be an effective giver, I don't want to do greater harm, but spiritually I'm obligated to give to everyone who asks, just not not everything that that they ask. If if what they ask is going to do them harm, then I'm going to give them an alternative, but I'm at least going to show them the respect and the dignity that someone showed me when I needed a hand up. Yep. Not a hand out, a hand up. Difference, right? What's our, what do we do here at GCHH? We offer a hand up. That's what we start telling them two years in before they get here. We're not a hand out. If you came here for a cush, this ain't the place. You'll be sorely disappointed. But if you came here to get well and never go back to what you knew, then come on, because we're going to walk with you. And we don't make that promise lightly. We've been doing this for a little over two years, and 99% who have graduated have not gone back, and 90% who have just touched us have not gone back. And that doesn't have anything to do with us, but it has everything to do with the power we serve. And any of you that have walked these halls know there's power here. You feel it. People go, it feels different in here. Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. He does that. That's his business, feeling different. Right, chap? So it says, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. I don't know if you guys are looking at the gravity of what they're saying, but in order for me to burn something into your consciousness, I and my human power cannot do that. I have to speak to you in the spirit, through the spirit, so that it will penetrate you deep, depth and weight. I've got to tell you a story about a redemption I'm living in and the fact that I am now an ambassador of that redemption, and he has now chosen you. Does that make sense? And you guys, you guys, and some of you may not know the story of this place. I lived, I came up homeless many years ago. Didn't get a lot better for me for a lot of years, but we've been faithful about doing this and trying to help people. And a few years ago, we met the people that we put this together with, and we started pitching them this brilliant idea about, I know what we're going to do. We're going to get 400 recently released felons. We're going to put them under one roof in the middle of town, and it's going to be awesome. And uh, we were trying to do a 20-man church that someone had gave us, and everything we tried to do got stopped. And then we met a guy when we went and told him, 
This guy had run a marijuana business, and I'm not talking about the kind some of us ran. I'm talking about national growing, selling, retailing, and he had made a little money. And so we went and pitched to him about, we're going to do this, and he goes, that's awesome. <laughs> Count me in. So he hands us this list, subject list, of properties to go look at so that we can do this awesome thing. And the very most expensive property on that long list was the one in which you sit. And I didn't even have to look at anything else on the list because in 1982, when this property was built, that was my very first construction management job. Knew the place, knew that I was not misdirected, told them that was the property. We came in, we saw the waterfall, we felt the atmospherics. We came in here and we knew this was the right place. And now, all this time later, many of you have been through and you're back, but all of that is the same home, homeless, hopeless, drunken drug addict. I had nothing. And nothing that I ever could have possessed is worth the value of watching your redemption here. And to follow up on CHAP, we expect to watch a whole lot more. I want everyone that's sitting here that's followed our story, we were always going to buy another facility. We are. We, we're moving forward in that. It's a, not the same one we thought, but another one that's actually better. God made us wait because there's a better one for women in a little better neighborhood. We also are going to build 150 apartments for housing beyond here. We'll start that next year. And there's a whole lot of other things coming, and none of this, all this crap we were going through, we were doing all that all the way through it. So I just want you to know thank you for your faith and, and for walking with us. And we know it was scary. We're not without the ability to feel fear, but we're not driven by fear. We walk in faith, not by sight. Okay, so I went off on a tangent, and I'm known to do that. So I'm going to give you one more little piece of information, a suggestion from the authors on page 100. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. A lot of people thought they were talking about you got to have a new sponsor. you got to have a new one in the book. Have you even heard that taught? That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about the new man within you. How many of you have found that there is a new creation within you that's continually revealing himself, herself to you, through you? How many of you determined you still think like you but are empowered to act better than you think? So now they're telling you what it feels like. I saw so many hands and I felt a lot of spirit. So now you know that you're in a conscious walk. Does that make sense? Why would I want to improve consciousness? Because this is, I want to walk with the new man every day. I went and got high every day. Many times. Yeah? Okay. So both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, promise. Remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. That's I just told you a story, what I planned and what I got to see. Those of you that are more biblical, signs and wonders follow us. Believe that. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. Exclamation. Now, let me tell you my experience of that and we'll close. I came up right off the streets. Went through a detox, still had a job, but lived in my car or on the streets. And had a guy take me through the steps and then I ran into my friend Sean. And Sean was down doing a meeting at the homeless shelter, which is why we ran into each other, but not because we were at the homeless shelter, but because we had met at work, because he happened to work with me. 
And when I came up in that homeless shelter, still homeless, but still working, and started doing what he was doing, because it wasn't about the step experience was one thing, but he was actually showing me the manner of living. And I started doing that. I started serving those people at that homeless shelter. And my experience did not get better for over a decade. I lived in abject poverty, but I was instantly transformed into a new and wonderful world because my perspective changed. Make sense? So any of you need a perspective change, I'm telling you, there ain't no reason that I'm here telling you this all these years.